This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, friends, and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts, which this might be the last episode of Joe's paternity leave. We're not sure yet, Tom. By the way, I'm joined by Tom. Tom, say hi to the lovely people. Hi to the lovely people. So I think we can safely say, Tom, that we reached the the official doldrums, the dog days of the off-season where they're all, just for the Rangers, there's just a couple of loose ends with D'Angelo and the Mew still not being signed. And then other than that, it's pretty much crickets, right? We know we have a lot of answers about what this team uh, is going to look like, what moves there could be. Maybe there'll be a depth move on the blue line to find the next Freddie Clayson instead of, you know, just re-signing Freddie Clayson. Uh, but beyond that, you know, there is cause to believe that maybe we'll see a trade uh, to move some salary. Maybe Vlad Nemestikov or Strom gets dealt before the season begins. But it's starting to look like the Rangers are going to move forward with Kreider, at least for this season. And, you know, we're getting a good idea of what's going to happen. And really, just like I said, it's the question of figuring out that the Mew and D'Angelo situation. But before we get there, there was a little bit of news. Um, of course, the Minnesota Wild are in the hunt for a new general manager after parting ways with their, uh, how do we say this, Tom? Their, the Lizard King. Yeah, the Lizard King. The, their reptile-fascinated former general manager, um, who was behind, I think, was, I think it was, was it 14 months he was the GM? I forget. Um, but apparently the, the Wild, as reported by Elliot Friedman, who is typically as good as a source as it gets, uh, reported that the Wild did reach out to the New York Rangers asking about uh, whether or not they could interview Chris Drury, who, of course, has been the Rangers' assistant general manager for the past several seasons, and the Rangers, uh, they said no, Tom. I, and we should mention, right, this isn't the first time we've heard another team inquiring about Drury. In fact, I think in his first season in the front office, he was the director of player personnel, and it was after that first offseason in his tenure in the front office when the Buffalo Sabres came knocking asking if they could, uh, you know, interview, you know, their former captain. And again, the Rangers said no. And after that, he was actually promoted uh, to the assistant general manager. And I think it was just a season or two after that when he became the general manager of the Hartford Wolfpack in addition to his responsibilities with the main club. But Tom, I wanted to ask you, you and I both know very well the struggles of the Hartford Wolfpack is it maybe a little bit surprising to see that there's this much interest in Drury, especially, you know, given what, you know, given the other candidates who might be out there? It seems like Drury, at least, you know, on paper, is something of a hot commodity. At least, you know, like I should say, on, on surface level, it appears that more than a few teams are talking about him. Well, I wouldn't say I'm so much surprised. Um, the way I look at things is... Jury's been within the organization a number of years now, as you you know mentioned, he was in you know player development. Um, but 
you look at what's gone on in Hartford, and it's easy to look and say they did not play well. You had the turnover with uh, a head coach that had been with the organization a long time. Uh, then, you know, the Hayes replacement uh, abruptly dismissed after, you know, only a few seasons. And, you know, we're now under coach number three in Hartford, under, if you call it, um, Drury's tenure. But outside of the Rangers, he's been affiliated with uh, Team USA internationally for a number of tournaments. Uh, most recently, he was the general manager of Team USA for um, the most recent World Championships uh, held in Slovakia, where he's sort of you know playing a role in building a roster of NHL talent, uh, you know, to represent the United States. And I think you look at the fact that there are these organizations looking at someone like Drury um, who's been with the organization he had high esteem as a player as a, as a captain and it's all of these sort of intangible words that we sometimes yeah. um, you know we just sort of like push aside but there's a reason why there have been organizations and you look at the Sabres before they hired Jason Botterill they contacted the Rangers and now you look at the Minnesota Wild um, I, I think if anything, these organizations are interested in that. Jury has been a part of the brain trust as the Rangers have started to undergo a changing of how things are done. While he may not have been as hands-on, he's still in those meetings. He's still privy to the sort of process. And that information can be valuable, which is why I would say why he's still with the organization they they don't want any of what they're building towards what they're using in terms of evaluating talent evaluating personnel potential coaches um you know executives they don't want that to leave the organization um and i think uh i think it was in one of our our group chats um I think Adam had mentioned that he wouldn't be surprised if someone like Drury was signed to an initial contract under the assumption of, you know, you're here to sort of gain experience, you're sort of here to do this, and after a certain period of time, you know, depending on how things go, if an opportunity opens up, we obviously won't step in your way. But this early into his tenure, it's not that surprising that, you know, he's still here. Yeah, and I think you raise a couple of good points there. The one, one that I really want to make note of this is only really his third season as the assistant general manager of the club so and the other part of this is he's still pretty young especially by front office standards he's 42 uh, i think he'll be turning 43 later uh, this month actually i think in eight days or so so happy early birthday to uh, to chris jury but i think you raised the point that you touched on that i wanted to circle back to is you know i think he is a popular guy within the league especially with his ties to USA Hockey. And I think for a lot of American-based organizations, that means a lot. Jury was actually a great player on the international level. Um, he had a lot of great, uh, you know, great tournaments for for Team USA. And I think that the fact that he's, you know, was recently the general manager of USA at the 2019 Worlds and was an assistant general manager in the 2017 Worlds is an attractive thing to teams that also are looking at a guy who you know, has been involved in a huge market team like the Rangers. And, you know, it's hard to find guys who have experience or can bring ideas from an organization that has as many resources the Rangers do, which might be one of the reasons why the Wild and, you know, a couple of years ago, the Sabres were looking at him. And I, I wanted to circle back to that because 
I don't think it's, you know, this is not meant as an insult to Chris Drury in any way, but he's not exactly known as, like, you know, a guy who worked his way into a general managing role because he's a cap guru or something of that nature. You know, Tom, this is a guy who's a hockey guy. He's a player development guy. He's a guy who knows what it's like to play. He's a guy who has an eye for talent. He was a captain during his, you know, during his time in, in with the Rangers and, of course, before that with the Sabres. Like, this is a guy who's very well liked. I'm not surprised that, you know, we've seen his name come up. Um, I know that there are a lot of Rangers fans who wish that maybe Lindy Ruff would be getting a few more phone calls. Um, that's really neither here nor there. It is something maybe to keep an eye on. Um, but like you said, you know, with the, the note that Adam had, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers are, you know, that they're not going to hold him back from opportunities for too, too much longer. But for the time being, he might be considered simply too valuable to the operation of the team to let go, even if, you know, you know, he might have, in some people's eyes, kind of graduated from, you know, being ready to step up into a bigger role like the full-fledged GM role somewhere else, like maybe Minnesota or maybe, you know, wherever that next opportunity comes. But, you know, unless things go really sideways for Chris Drury and the Rangers, I would imagine there are going to be opportunities and people calling a year or two from now and maybe even further down the road but we'll just kind of have to see what happens there it is something to keep in mind because any change to the front office is significant you know we talked at length about how big of a change john davidson being in the front office really represents and you know we're already starting to see a lot of that aren't we tom like this definitely a shift in the way the front office operates and maybe some of the team's philosophies and you know, hearing a new voice and a new direction there has been interesting. But uh, we wanted to touch on that. And then, of course, I thought, Tom, we would go ahead and take a look at something that was up on NHL Network. Uh, it was yesterday now. I put the story up on Banter today. Uh, the NHL Network during the offseason, just like every publication, both uh, digital and on television, uh, you know, you know, in terms of just getting stuff up during the summer where the, you know, the stories are a little lean, everyone's chewing on the bones, trying to find anything to get up there. Uh, the NHL Network does these things where they look at like the top 25 wingers right now, and they'll do the defenders and top 10 goalies. And the start of this conversation for us is Artemi Panarin, Tom, came in as the eighth best ranked winger. Do you think that was a fair spot? In the big picture, considering all the wingers, and we're talking both lefties and righties, by the way. Um, although the NHL Network did have Leon Draisaitl uh, ahead of Panarin, and you know, obviously he plays plenty of center too. But you know, that's just kind of a technicality. But do you feel like Panarin is where he belongs in that eight spot, or might you put him higher? I feel like having him eight on this list is interesting considering Mark Stone was ranked number 13. Um, I I thought that that was an odd place for Stone. Um, So it's it's hard for me to sort of like complain about where Panarin is in in, in that sense. I felt like Pasternak was really low, but then I looked at like the other guys around him and I was like, yeah, you know, I like, like maybe I would have said Brad Marchand was high. Like, and I think Brad Marchand's a great player, but I also think he's maybe takes away from his value by some of his antics. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe I would have moved Mitch Marner high, like, you know, move Marchand down and, 
you know, but then I ask myself, like, do I think, you know, Panarin is better than Brad Marchand? I think I do. I think that there's a synergy effect with guys like Marchand and Pasternak. You know, like, when you're on one of the best lines in the league, maybe you look a little bit better than you really are. Like, you know, there are the guys in the league like, you know, like Patrick Kane or Connor McDavid who are just undeniably great and they carry a line. And all the guys who make this list are that good. But maybe there are those guys who have the benefit of playing with another great player and that kind of, you know, boost their value a little bit here. Well, yeah, like, I kind of think that's the case with Mitch Marner at number five. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a great offensive talent, but there's been a number of, and it's topical, and we'll, you know, this is sort of, I won't bleed into, uh, you know, um, off the post, but um, a lot has been looked at of Marner and the fact that he's unsigned and, um, you know, what his value is, and you sort of look at his time spent with John Tavares, and he's a much play a much better player alongside Tavares, and it's the same hasn't been true um, of Marner in, in the sense of he's not really boosting uh, Tavares. It's the other way around. So I get that he's a great offensive talent, but having him at number five is, is interesting. Um, I would say Kucherov makes sense at number one. Yeah, um, I agree well, with that. It's really hard to, especially, especially after the last two years. It's hard to take it away from Kucherov, but... I saw some people saying it should still be Ovi, and you know what? I have time for that argument, too. Yeah, and I, I feel Kane is, is slightly high. Um, I get, you know, it's it's what makes it hard is because it depends on what your criteria is. Um, is it someone that's just pure offensive? Is it all round? Is it their yeah. impact to their team? Um, but I would say... I would say it's easy to say Panarin is definitely a top 10 winger. I think that's a fair statement, I believe, since he's entered the league. Um, I think he's 8th in total points, and I think he's 6th in total goals. I I know he's in top 10, respectively, for some of those categories, so it speaks to the impact he's had in a short period of time. Um, Ovechkin is someone who scores a lot of goals. He's, a, he's someone that... You always have to keep an eye on. Um, Drysaddle is an interesting one where he's placed because it's also, you know, I think that was also a thing when it came time for the um, the PHWA balloting for uh, for awards. Like their all-star teams where it was like, you know, where they're slotting Drysaddle, even though he took the most face-offs on the Oilers, he was being considered a winger or... Yeah, it's a little... It's, it's a little muddy with him because you know he yeah. he's considered a winger and you know he had 105 points last season I think, but you know he's also taken faceoffs and most of the time I think he was centering the second line there and you know you get into this area of like well what do you do with those guys who kind of split you know what they what they do and you know I then I guess you would, you can boil it down to like the top 20 pure wingers you know and get right. a more hyper-specific, but for a list like this, I think it's more just the discussion that's the part of it, but I, I get what you're getting to. It's a little like, what do you do with a guy like Dreisaitl, right? Like, what do you do with that? Right, and then you even look at some of these lists, and like Giroux, for example, he's been one of the, the, the best scorers, cumulatively, um, you know, for the last few years now, and he's at 12th. Taylor Hall, who, you know, he won a heart trophy, won a, heart trophy. Uh, a, a year yeah. ago. Huberto, who's has been on a, a rise, he had a career year in points. Um, and then you have, like, Patrick Laine, who he yeah, had a terrible season. Here. Yeah. 
if you're going by, especially because like the the top of this list seems really tied up in recency bias, right? Like I don't understand how Line A cracks this list really. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I like that there are so many guys ahead of him. I just don't think they're he should be head of that many other guys. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. looking at this list, it's fun. You know, it's really just for fun. But it is one to me the thing that stands out to me. It's fun to consider that there's a ranger on this list because I. I can't imagine how long it's been, you know, since, you know, maybe the last time NHL Network, you know, I don't know if they had Rick Nash up there at some point or, or Gabrick, but we'd have to look back at that. And, you know, it's been a while since they had a winger, you know, entering his, you know, you know, in his prime or beginning what we could generally understand as a player's prime. That's where Panarin is right now in his career. And looking at how many of those guys is in, are in the uh, Metropolitan Division is really interesting. Um, looking at the fact that of that group, he's just uh, the second youngest of the four guys. It's Taylor Hall, and Taylor Hall is only two weeks younger than him. So uh, it's it's fun to think of what that means, especially because of all the money the Rangers have tied up in him. But I wanted to, unless you had something else to add on here, Tom, I wanted to talk about you know looking forward when you know the when the network released this, they mentioned. They're, they're going to do their top 20 defensemen right now. Um, and that's going to come up next weekend. So that'll be August 18th. And, or I should say this upcoming weekend on August 18th. And, you know, I sent, I put it up on Twitter. I was curious about, you know, especially because of the investment that the Rangers made in Jacob Truba. And what the, because sometimes we ask, like, when we see these big contracts, Tom, we ask, like, what does that money mean? You know, like, what does $8 million a year mean about a player? Especially a player who the Rangers could have, you know, were close to going to arbitration with. And you have to settle on that number and agree on a big number. And $8 million is a significant investment. But it's also, in many ways, like, a statement to some degree. Like, you can make a point that, you know, a player like Truba, you know, he, he wants that sort of money because he feels like that's, frankly, what he's worth. And... You look at that number and you, I wonder, you know, I think we should expect Truba in that top 25 defenseman right now. I mean, it's just the NHL networks list. It's not the BL end all list. But where do you think he lands on that list, Tom? So it's, it's interesting to me because it's a situation of I'm interested to see how they do this. Yeah. Um, because, like, Top defenseman, it has, or top defenseman in the league, it's, you know, you could look at it as, okay, there are 30, you know, top left-handed defensemen, and there are 30 top right-handed defensemen just by virtue of, or rather 31 top left and right, um, because you're going to have one of each on each, each team. Each team has a top pair. That doesn't necessarily mean we should, right. we consider them top pair, D, but exactly. each team is likely playing two guys on their top pair that they feed more minutes to, they ask more of. Those are the guys that, you know, that move the needle or shoulder the biggest load in terms of time on ice and assignments and all that stuff. So generally speaking, yeah, we should have 31 and 31. So yeah, you have a good idea of how many top guys there really should be, right? Yeah, so the way I look at things is if you look at um, the top 10 teams in the league, you know, just by the standings. So you would have most most likely you'll have top five in the East, the top five in the West. Is Jacob Truba 
going to fill one of those potential spots so you know 10 teams it's two slots each so is he within the top 20 of defensemen on a on one of those teams i'd probably say no i i probably think you can think of a number of defensemen um you know better than than jacob trubo to to fill that and if you wanted to choose have it specific to say you know top 10 right-handed defensemen um i still think he doesn't make that list so then you move down a little bit um and you would say by the way yeah i think he might have that potential in him but i don't like and i think part of what the rangers gave him is for him to become that player but i don't Mm -hmm. think you know he's quite there yet um but yeah i think that i think some ranger fans might be nervous to hear that but i don't think that's at all you know, a an alarming statement. Like, a, that is where Truba is. He's not quite there yet. I would say he's a very, very, very good defenseman, but he's not elite. Especially if we're being kind of sticklers about the definition of that term, right? Yeah, and I would say the only caveat, and now that I'm sort of thinking about it, is if you have a team like Tampa Bay that is so stacked down the left-hand side, yeah. um, and they don't really have you know, uh, many compliments on the right, you know, case in point, why the Lightning just signed, you know, Shattenkirk. Um, Obviously in that situation is Jacob Truba a top pairing defenseman, I would say yes. But in the much broader sense, no. Um, Is he a a second pairing defenseman on one of those teams? I would say yes, he is most definitely. So I would say in that assumption, you're looking at Truba as someone who is either your 21st to um, 30th best defender uh, in the league. And I, I think, you know, if you look at all things equal, I think that's a fair range because out of that list, you'll have a good amount of defenders that play a good two-way game. You'll have those who are, you know, superb offensively um, and, you know, decent defensively. And then you'll have those who are, you know, superb defensively and, you know, decent offensively. And then I think that's kind of where Truba fits in as someone who, to this point in his career, um, he's put up, you know, some decent offensive numbers. He's, you know, be good, um, you know, on on the power play, on five on five. but he's not exactly someone who's going to anchor your penalty kill, which is you know something that your top defenders in the league can do. Whether it's um, you know your Eric Carlson's of the world, or your um, you know Ryan McDonough's to an extent. Um, like the guy a- who jumps out to me, just because I don't mean to cut you off, but like the. When I was trying to think about what it really means to be there, and I said, like, all right, like, even if we say, let's look at the right right side. And I thought to myself, all right, well, how many right-handed D would I rather, would I have instead of Truba? And let's just say we, for the sake of our argument, we do include, you know, contracts, which means, like, Drew Doughty, it's like, no thank you. Like, you know, even if he's a really special player, I don't want the $11 million of Drew Doughty. And I might definitely don't want, you know, the Eric Carlson 11.5 million. But you think about, like, guys like Seth Jones. Like, how much, like, yeah, how much more do you want Seth Jones over than Jacob Truba? And to me, the answer is a lot. Like, I want, would want Seth Jones a lot more than Jacob Truba. And that has, you know, even if we just put the contracts aside, it's, 
it's not even close and you know there are there is something to be said i think tom about the fact that trubo you know finished 13th in scoring among d last year um you know he cracked 50 points um you know i think he averaged 22 minutes and 52 seconds you know he had a really strong year but like you said he's not the guy who you can play on your top pair at even strength your top penalty kill unit and your top power play unit and feel like he's just an all-around brilliant player like someone like victor hedman who i think for me at least that's the archetype for a truly elite defenseman right now and you know yeah he plays the left side but he's just victor hedman to me is like a masterpiece in terms of defenseman like if i was building a defenseman from scratch i think i'd end up with victor hedman to some extent um and this this is not all to say that you know jacob truba isn't good of course but it is something to think about, like the amount of money the Rangers chose to invest in this player, right? It definitely makes you think. Yeah, and you also look at, if you mentioned Seth Jones, I would say another guy who I don't think he gets, you know, all the recognition in the world mm. is someone like Colton Pareko, who. Oh, God, yeah. He's, you know, contributed about 30-plus points a season, you know, the four years he's been in the league, while also being great, you know, situationally, uh, defensively, and. Um, that's kind of what you're looking for. Um, as the game has evolved, it's sort of been in the past you would have these guys who just put up these gaudy offensive numbers. And while there are still some that do so, if you can find a guy who is going to you know, give you like 35 to 45 offensively while playing that good all-around game, um, I think you know that's a good value. Not to say that there's not value in, in those who do either one to an extreme, but you're looking for balance ultimately um, when you're filling out a pair. Yeah, there's definitely some, like, especially when it comes to defensemen, it's tricky, right, to assign value to these guys. Like, how much, like, how much weight do you give something like just production when you have guys like Jacob Slavin out there who, you know, are just so good at what they do, but they're not expected to crack, you know, 50 points anytime soon, right? But that doesn't mean he's not a great defenseman. Just out of curiosity, I just pulled up, you know, the right-handed D that had uh, more points per game last season than than Truba, just for you and I to think about some of these names, Tom. Brent Burns, John Carlson, Chris Letang, Eric Carlson, Tyson Berry, Dustin Bufflin, John Klingberg, Matt Dumba, even though Dumba played only 32 games, uh, last season, uh, Seth Jones, and then we have Jacob Truba. So, you know, Truba is still up there in terms of, you know, even if we're just measuring strictly by points per game, which is, of course, not at all a great metric to use for evaluating uh, whether or not a defenseman is quote-unquote top right now. But it is something to think about uh, in terms of, like I said, the money the Rangers invested in him and what they hope he becomes. Uh, you know, I'm not... We don't say this to, you know, disparage Truba or, or anything. It's just something to think about because when you reach this point of the offseason, something like the NHL Network's top 20 list of players by position will be, you know, a talking point. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the water cooler conversation. But knowing we had the podcast tonight, Tom, I tweeted out a poll asking where would, where would fans rank Jacob Truba. I said, you know, I gave folks four options to put him in the top 25, 26 to 50, 51 to 75, or 76 to 100. 
most people, 58% of the 464 people that voted, put him in the top 25, which I think is, is where I put him. Um, just all things considered, I think I would rate right-handed D more valuable than left-handed D, uh, just because that's what the market tends to dictate. And if that's true, that means that's what general managers and teams believe. So I would put him in the top 25. That's where most people put him. After that, 38% put him in 26 to 50 range. 3% put him in the 51 to 75 range. And then the 2%, uh, which I'm guessing is the Devils fans who follow me, put him in the 76 to 100 range, Tom. That's not very nice for them to, you know, spike the poll like that. It's, you know, let people do what they're going to do, Tom. It's uh, It's the summer. Maybe that's how they, they blow some steam. Blow off some steam. Little sassy pants people get all little cranky pants. But it's, uh, it is something to think about. I like... I, I'm going to be very curious to see where they rank Truba. And something tells me, based on the contract he got, he might get more love in that ranking than maybe he deserves. Uh, and Which is interesting. But I don't think it's any secret that the Rangers overpaid to some extent for Truba like you know they they gave him more money than you know most people thought they should and and you know maybe what he had earned to that point but he is a guy who's not done becoming the player that he looks like he can become which is really to say he has room to grow and he's already a pretty great player right now yeah I mean if if we were to wrap a bow on sort of everything that we've said and you know these polls and and you know what the Rangers are getting, um, I would say that you look at all the defensemen that the Rangers have had play for them previously. You look at some of the top young defensemen in the league who um, are are playing right now. Mm-hmm. You look at who was available. You look at who is projected to be available. I think you find a nice balance in Truba in someone that is not a young player uh, in the conventional sense. He has the experience of, of being in this league since he was you know, 18, 19 years old, and he still has a lot left that he can accomplish, and for what the Rangers are doing, that makes sense, and it, he's in a spot where he can, can grow, um, and I think he'll have a lot of the focus, and I think he'll have a lot of playing opportunity, and that bodes well for for the Rangers. Now, based on what we've seen with this list, they overrate some players, they underrate some players, um, but I wouldn't get, like, too bent out of shape if, you know, Truba were, say, you know, not ranked, or if he were, you know, ranked really low. Um, it's, I get, you know, yeah, they traded for him, they gave him this big contract, you want some sort of recognition because then you'll have people be like oh man we just traded for someone signed him eight million dollars and he's not even ranked you know what's going on here but <laughs> it's yeah don't don't get too you know banana it's, shit about it seems it. like a mid-august reaction to have though um yeah but you know that's that's part of that is like i said we're at this time of the year where you know we all know the news is slow but kind of speaking about these contracts and like you said you know people getting a little nervous about the investment in truba there are still two RFAs that the Rangers don't have signed, Tom. We are still waiting on news for Tony D'Angelo, and we're still waiting, of course, for Brendan Lemieux. Uh, just a reminder for folks, neither of these guys had arbitration rights, which means the Rangers hold all the cards here. Tom, if you're Jeff Gordon, and I'm Anthony D'Angelo's 
agent. Let's do a little let's do a little role play here, Tom. But without you know the candles and the whips and the what have you. Um, oh, sassy. Yeah, get a little, a little saucy. Um, I say to you, enough jerking me around. I want my guy to sign. I want a three-year deal at three and a half million a year. What do you say to me? I say, why am I doing this right now? Like, why are you even talking to me? It's, uh, your client has no rights, and I'm in no position to meet your demands at this point. Um, I'm going to wait around. And you know what I say to that? I say, that's a very good point, sir. I shake your hand. Uh, we light cigars, and, and we carry on with our day. But that's not how these things work. I um, mean... We like him very much. We think he's got the potential to be a part of this team, but we are still evaluating other options, and we're prepared to, um, you know, drag this out as, as long as it has to be. Um, you know, it wouldn't be fair to put him over, you know, the rest of the group, and uh, we'll find something that works for uh, all parties involved. You know what, Tom? I'm glad you phrased it that way because I think that is a big part of this is that the Rangers are probably taking their sweet-ass time here because Tony D'Angelo is not bigger than the rest of the group. And given the Adam Fox move and you know the investment in Truba, they can afford to kind of jerk this kid around a little bit, right? He is the Evolving Wild Twins uh, who, who do great work. Uh, you can follow. Uh, they, do, they have a great uh, staff site and of course they also have a great presence on Twitter, but they did contract projections, most of which have been definitely in the ballpark, and it's a very valuable tool for us to get an idea of what these guys might get. And of course, we're now at the stage of this offseason where, as Tom mentioned at the top of the show, like with Mitch Marner and Patrick Laine and Nico Rontanen, there's a lot of big RFAs that haven't signed, so the Rangers aren't the only team that are still kind of sweating it, and I think the Rangers are definitely sweating a lot less than a team like Toronto or Colorado, for example. But D'Angelo, they projected him, if, if he had signed a one-year deal, they projected him at $2.37 million. And I think the reason for that being, you know, what he was able to do last season, he was a half a point per game player. So over an 80-game season, he's a 40-point defenseman. And you don't get a lot of those guys, especially guys who are 23 years old, especially guys who played that right side. Um, and because of that, I think when we look at the, you know, the projections for what his, you know, next contract could look like, what the Twins came up with seems on the high side. But that's only really when we also incorporate, like, all this context that we have, knowing, you know, following the Rangers and covering the Rangers. These things about D'Angelo, like the, the amount of healthy scratches he's had because of behavioral stuff. Uh, the off-the-ice stuff that happened before he was a Ranger, including some of the on-the-ice stuff that happened before he was a Ranger. So there are a lot of reasons for the Rangers to tread carefully here. And in many ways, I'm actually glad that Gordon isn't is kind of just taking his time here, Tom. I'm glad that he's letting this fig, kind of... He's feeling this out. He's letting the player and the agent know that, like, hey, you know, we are your... We gave you a chance here to, to really prove yourself, a chance that you probably, you know, you can say with some confidence you didn't quite get in Tampa and Arizona. They were ready to pass on you. We were the team that was willing to let you prove yourself. We're entitled to let you wait here and come down to a reasonable number. 
I'm with that being said, even though I'm not the biggest um, fan of Brendan Lemieux, I wish we would have had Lemieux signed by now. Um, I'm s- somewhat surprised it's taken this long, but considering the Rangers' cap crunch, Tom, maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that they're we they really are taking their time with the guys they they hold all the cards against, right? Like, there's nothing to rush this for the Rangers. Right, and I I think part of it too is it's the um, the the wall of RFAs that are still unsigned, and I also think that the Rangers can find themselves in a position where they might be able to help out other teams. Well, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, what uh, news broke that you know Calgary Flames, you know, defenseman Yusuf Valamaki, he sustained a torn ACL. And he's going to have to have surgery, and he's out indefinitely. He will, you know, not start the season with Calgary. So he's someone that I believe was penciled in to be part of their their top six. So that opens up a situation where are they going to address it within, or are they going to look, you know, the the trade market? And you know, this sort of thing happens all the time, whether it's off season training injuries whether it's uh, an injury in training camp or in the preseason and then you have these late september deals that um you know able to create cap space and i think in the case of someone like d'angelo or lemieux if they were to sign mid end of september um it's not going to be the biggest deal in the world you get them in for a few preseason games and you know obviously you want to have them in as, as soon as you can, as we, we saw, uh, you know, with William Nylander, with him holding out um, and then joining the team late. He didn't have the greatest season in the world for, for the Leafs. Yeah, it can um, take on a life of its own like it did with Nylander. Right, but I think the Rangers are going to wait as long as they can to try and shake out another trade for cop space purposes because they don't want to go into the season with just a compliant roster. They're going to want to have some breathing room for call-ups in the event of injuries, where if someone's not injured enough, they can't go on long-term injured reserve. And they also want to have that potential cushion for, for bonuses. So I think that Gorton is playing a game of chicken where he's fully prepared to start the season with both of them unsigned. And he'll hope that he can blink them into playing for their qualifying offers, which would give the team the most flexibility. Um, but yeah, the Rangers have definitely enough bodies, especially in terms of of forwards. Like they can just say, "Listen, uh, Brendan, Greg McKegg will play." You know, we have no problem with Greg McKegg playing. We're now we're not winning a cup, and you can, you know, sit there and not play. But I think they might be a little more hesitant to do that on the blue line, especially because. For sure, I, I think there's more. There's more cause. I think there's a greater need to get D'Angelo signed, um, especially after you know the wake of the Shattenkirk buyout. Like, you know, if, if Shattenkirk was still in the picture here, they could wait all day on D'Angelo. But maybe they have less of a luxury there now, right? Yeah, and and again, like I think that the Rangers think highly of Tony D'Angelo. Um, you know, they certainly paid a considerable price. You know, not to acquire him specifically, but in the greater context of the first round pick that became Leah Sanderson. Yeah, the package he was in, yeah. So the fact that they've traded Shattenkirk, they've added Truba, you have an unknown in Fox, you could 
you could be in a good situation if the Rangers, if you're able to look at D'Angelo as found money, as someone that's going to be a, a good second pair defenseman. Um, and, and like we've all said, and as Adam has said many times in his prospect rankings, when he evaluated the trade, as Joe has brought up, you know, when talking about when uh, he was going through, you know, his disciplinary issues, even, you know, the great work that Shana did at the Athletic, there is a lot to like about Tony D'Angelo as a hockey player, and I think he's only scratched the surface. And the Rangers right now are doing this because they can. We've seen it before. Uh, JT Miller played for his qualifying offer. Um, you know, he eventually broke out as a player. Obviously, didn't do it with the Rangers. So, I guess a long way of you know cutting this ramble, if you will. D'Angelo is a good hockey player. The Rangers are doing things their way for the most financial, um, you know, wiggle room, and it's still, you know, early mid-August. I think we'll know a little bit more once training camp is closer. Makes sense to me. I think you know what, Tom. I think it's time for us to wrap this one up, and uh, we'll pick up the rest of our Rangers talk this week with off the post. But I wanted to throw. A quick, just an unnecessary high pitch inside at you, really quick. Is Vlad Nemestikov on this team on October 1st? I think he is. And there you have it. We'll leave you with that, folks, and meet you on Off the Post. And then next week, I'll probably take over uh, responsibility of raising Joe's new newborn son and probably uh, convince his daughter, Kaylin, to start calling me dad. Goodbye. Joe as well. Bye-bye.